Well, it's so good to be here together with each one of you this morning to worship, and it is so good to see each one of you come here this morning. It is, once again, moving one Sunday closer to Good Friday and to Easter, and so as we are moving closer, we are also continuing our journey to the crossroads of the cross of Jesus Christ. For those of you who are new to this series, I'd like to remind us the definitions that we are working with as we have gone through this series of the crossroads of life and death. A crossroad is a place where two roads intersect, forcing us to make a decision, to make a choice. Which way will we turn? A crossroad is, above all things, a place of decision. And for 2,000 years, the cross of Jesus Christ has stood at the crossroads that divides all of history. And it still stands today as a direct challenge to each one of us. But the challenge is not only for those who are far from God, but equally the challenge is for those who are near to God. Even the closest follower of Jesus Christ is challenged by the cross of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Because for us who know even what the very heartbeat of Jesus sounds like, The cross of Christ demands complete allegiance every single day of our lives, as we will see this morning in the story of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so I came to a crossroads as I was preparing for this message in this past week, and I felt the Lord leading once again to share John's story from the perspective of a narrative. And so give me the freedom once again to share with you a narrative from the perspective of John as he stood near to the cross of Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Lord Jesus, my desire is to glorify and to honor you above all else. And so Lord, as we once again consider you, as we consider your sacrifice, I pray, Father, that you would stir in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that you would do something fresh and new in us today, that we could leave here today and recognize that we were with you. And I pray, Lord, that the outcome of that would be others would say, something's different, something's changed. And we could say, it's because we were with Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, that you would stir us, challenge us again by your incredible sacrifice. And Lord, as we consider the story of John, the disciple whom you loved above all others, we pray, Lord, that you would see our place in this story. So by your Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear, Lord. I ask that you would bless me with the, bol- the boldness and the courage I need to preach this word, as you would have it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The hour has now come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I say unto you, that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. My father will honor the one who serves me. But now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. I was there that day 
as the Lord spoke those words. I was there, right next to him. In fact, you see, I was always standing as near to Jesus as I possibly could. I just hated leaving his side. I, I just loved being near the master. You see, something about him drew me to him. And so even when he would send us out on assignments, I would try to get them done as quickly as possible and hurry back. I simply didn't want to miss one moment with Jesus. You know, I'm telling you the truth that I have never in all my life met someone quite like him. Whether he was teaching to the crowds, whether he was healing lepers or the blind, casting out demons, I, John, brother of James, son of Zebedee, had a front row seat. And I loved every minute of it. You know, there were so many incredible moments with Jesus. Days so intense and events so far beyond my ability to imagine, let alone explain to you in such a way that you could believe them, that I will spare you the details, as I'm sure you've probably heard many of the stories already. Like that time that Jesus almost sunk Andrew and Peter's boat with this massive catch of fish. It was so big, they just kept hauling them in one after the other. And at first, you should have seen their faces. Andrew and Peter are like whooping it up. They've never caught so many fish in their life. They're going to take them to the market and make a killing. But then the next minute, the fish just keep coming so much, their joy turns into panic. And you should have seen the looks on their faces when the boat starts sinking. And they're like, throw the fish back, throw them back. And me and John were over in the other boat and we were watching this happen. And man, I've never laughed so hard in my life. That was something to see. You know, then there was that time that Jesus walked to us on the water. We've all heard the story, right? Jesus walking on the water, yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I hear something about here in Canada, you walk on the water six months out of the year or something like that, but not where we live. Where we live, walking on the water is a big deal. You know, and so when Jesus came walking to us on the water, I can tell you, I've never been so scared in all my life. Or that time that Jesus fed the multitudes with just a small snack lunch that this little boy had brought along. And I can tell you, I've never been so full in all my life. But while all those spectacular miracles are, are the things that most people tend to remember about the Master, my favorite times with the Master were those quiet, simple moments alone, where it was just us and Him. You know, on most days, He would take us aside in the cool of the evening, and he would explain to us the meaning of what he taught the crowds that day. And then he would patiently answer our questions again and again and explain things again and again because we just weren't getting it. And he would correct us and he would encourage us and he'd take us aside and speak to us individually. And you know, it never ceases to amaze me how Jesus seemed to know exactly what I needed before I'd even said anything. Now, this next part, I don't want to come across as though I'm sounding boastful or I'm bragging when I say this, because the fact is that I am, I am humbled. I am truly humbled every time I think of it. So please hear my heart when I say this. Out of all the twelve disciples, for some reason, Jesus and I had an extra special bond, a, a relationship unlike any other. This bond of love so deep and profound that defies my ability to explain to you. Now, I know that the 
I know that the Lord loved each of us as disciples, and I know his bond and relationship with each person is unique. And so I'm not diminishing those in any way. I claim to be no better than the others. All I know is that from the very first moment Jesus called my name, I knew he loved me. And I loved him. And I can't explain it to you other than that from the very first moment. You know, I remember that day clearly. We were out on the Sea of Galilee. And we were fishing near the shore as we often did. And there he was on the shore and he called my name. And, and the way he called my name, it was as though he already knew me. As though he already knew all about John and every single detail of my life. And from that moment forward, I left my nets behind and I decided that no matter what, I would follow this master who knew my name and everything about me. Wise King Solomon once wrote this proverb, that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And that's how it was for Jesus and me. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my brother James dearly. And even though he can sometimes get on my nerves and he still deludes himself into thinking that he's a better fisherman than me. So as a good brother, I just let him think that, of course, just to keep him happy. But we had some wild times together. You know, it's not by chance or coincidence that we got the nicknames, the Sons of Thunder, you know. We went through some wild times, me and James. But, you know, in spite of all of that, as I, as I consider that we were probably as close as any two brothers could be, with Jesus, it was like that, but so much more. So much more. So now, before I get too far ahead of myself in the story, let me take you back to that day that I opened with. The day that Jesus had said that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, as I said, I was standing right next to him when he said that. And so what happened next may sound unbelievable to you, but I'm telling you the truth. The moment Jesus finished saying the words, Father, glorify your name, the heavens rumbled, and the very voice of God rang out clear as day from, from the bright blue sky. It said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowds and everyone there heard it that day. And it was just incredible. We stood there looking at each other. Had we really heard that? And not surprisingly, the skeptics and the people in the crowd who heard the voice that day immediately began trying to explain it away in their minds. And they said, oh, it must have been a thunderclap. Or maybe it was an angel saying something. But we knew better. We knew that the Father had affirmed His Son and in His mission. The hour was at hand. God had spoken. The establishment of His kingdom was near. Oh, we were so excited. We had been waiting for this day since we started following Jesus. The hour, He said, had finally come. Jesus would be glorified. He would ascend the throne of Israel. And there was this very good chance that James and I were going to be sitting on his left and right hands when he entered the kingdom. You know, my mom had asked for it after all. At least that's what we thought at the time. Little did we know how badly we were mistaken. So while we were correct in understanding that the hour was at hand, we missed entirely what Jesus meant 
by the seed needing to die in order for many to live. But even in our ignorance, there was one thing that I did not miss. Jesus had said, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. I recognized that day that following is not a choice for the servant of Jesus Christ. A servant must follow. They must. Being with Jesus wherever he goes is not optional. Quite simply, Jesus said, wherever he is, his servant will be also. And so though I missed almost everything else that day, I understood this, that unless Jesus ordered me to, I would never leave his side. I would stay with him wherever that went, whatever that meant, and even if it meant death, I would follow him. Now that all happened on Monday. But then Thursday evening came. Thursday is a night I will never forget. It was a night where all of history, past and present, hung in the balance. The age-old battle between good and evil, heaven and hell, God and the serpent, it all came to a head that night. The evening began with this, this wonderful and intimate Passover supper with the Master. And at the beginning of the meal, Jesus did something so unusual it caught us all off guard. He took the servant's robe and wrapped it around his shoulders. And he took the basin and he stooped down and washed our feet. And we were so taken off guard. What was he doing? My master? My, my rabbi? My lord? Washing my feet? How could this be? This wasn't right. I should be washing his feet. And of course, Peter, the spokesman, said what we were all thinking. and said, no, Lord, don't wash my feet. And Jesus taught us that unless, he, unless we allowed him to serve us, we would have no place with him. And so Peter says, well, not just my feet then, Lord, my, my head and my body also. And Jesus says, no, just your feet. That will do. And we saw this full expression of his love as he washed our feet that day. And from that moment on, every fiber of my being could sense that something was different about this night. Jesus was different. And we sensed that there was this, this heaviness upon his shoulders, as though the weight of the world was resting on him. And each word and each gesture that he made as he washed our feet and we broke bread and poured wine together carried such significance and we sensed that something about this night we would never experience again. And so I treasured each moment and I tried to soak it in as Jesus showed his heart and his love towards us. But then he said something that shocked us. He said that one of us was going to betray him. And I knew in my heart that it couldn't be me. Or could it? Was I capable of betraying the master? My Jesus, the one who I loved more than my own life? I was reclining next to him at the table. I just always needed to be next to him. And so instinctively when he said these words, I, I leaned in closer to him. Almost as though if only I could... Just be nearer to him. If only I could hear his heart beat in his chest that he and I would be reassured of my loyalty. Reassured that I would rather die than betray him. And the other eleven were thinking the same things. They were stunned. 
No one knew what to say. And finally, Peter leans into me and he, he whispers and says, John, ask him who it is. So I leaned in close to Jesus' ear and I asked him. And Jesus replied, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread. Now you need to understand in our culture that dipping a piece of bread in the broth and then handing it to someone was a gesture of hospitality and of friendship. And so as Jesus dipped that piece of bread in the broth and he handed it to Judas Iscariot, we were utterly perplexed and confused. Could Judas really betray the Master? And if so, why was Jesus showing him a gesture of friendship, of love, of respect? And yet Judas took the piece of bread, and Jesus said to him, what you are about to do, go do quickly. And Judas just gets up and bolts out the door. We didn't know what it meant. Could Judas really be doing what Jesus had said? None of us could have ever imagined where he was going in that next moments, in the minutes that unfolded. Little could we have imagined the chain of events that he was about to set into motion. To this day, I still can't understand why he did it. I mean, hadn't Judas seen, hadn't he heard, hadn't he experienced all the same things that I had? And yet somehow through all of those years traveling with Jesus, he had remained unconvinced, unmoved, unchanged by the Master. You know, sure, you know, on the outside, he looked like the rest of us. He talked like the rest of us. He sounded the same as us. But at the end of the day, when all was said and done, he, he never truly received the love of the Master for himself. And it sometimes makes me wonder how many people can come to church and like Judas, they can hear the teaching of Jesus and they can see his power at work and they can profess to be his followers, but in their heart of hearts have never truly received Jesus' love for themselves. And so by outward appearances, they look and act and talk like everyone else, but on the inside, they remain unconvinced unmoved and unchanged by the Master. You know, Jesus himself told us that many who profess to believe would fall away. He also said that on the last day, many who called him Lord, Lord, would be told, I never knew you. Depart from me. Please do not take what I am saying lightly. Are you certain that your heart belongs to the Master? Are you certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love Him and He loves you? How can you be certain? Well, Jesus taught us that as well. By their fruit you will know them, He said. Those who love Me will obey Me. Those who serve Me will follow Me. Where I am, My servant will be also. And whoever wants to be My disciple must take up his cross daily and follow me. And so the question is, are you following? Are you walking hand in hand with the Master? Is dying to yourself and living with Jesus a part of your everyday life? Or are you living for yourself and only paying lip service to being a follower? 
Please consider in your heart what I am saying. Because with my own eyes, I saw Judas walk out that door. And the moment he turned his back on Jesus, he gave himself fully over to the enemy. Now after Judas had left, Jesus told us many other things. So many things I thought I would never remember them all. And when he said, My children, I will be with you only a little while longer, I thought my heart would burst. Especially when he said, Where I am going, you cannot come. But hadn't he just said that whoever serves me must follow me and that where I am, my servant will be also? How could this be now that he was going somewhere that I could not follow? And so Peter, once again, as so often was the case, he said what we were all thinking. Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And so again, Peter took the I will lay down my life for you. Oh, Peter. I trust most of you know how that story played out. Little did he or I know at that moment just how soon that commitment would be put to the test. It was only a few hours later. Jesus was arrested in the garden. We ran. And the soldiers took him to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. Peter and I followed close behind, trying our best to keep out of sight. Through a personal connection, I managed to enter the inner courtyard. But Peter had to remain outside. You know, I knew it was dangerous, but I just needed to be near Jesus. If there was ever a time that he needed me, it was now. And I resolved to never let him out of my sight. And I cannot describe to you the sheer panic that I experienced in those moments. But then as I was wondering what was going to happen, I looked across the courtyard and I finally saw his face. And I couldn't believe it. Jesus was completely calm. And as I gazed upon him, he looked towards me and our eyes met. And a look of such love and peace as I have ever seen in my life. As though somehow he was still in control. As though everything was still going to be all right. And so I continued to darken. So did the evil around me. I heard the rooster begin to crow, and I saw Peter darting out from the crowd. And suddenly it dawned on me, I knew what it meant. He had denied the master. And I was the only one left. Just me. Out of all the twelve, it was just me, John, and the master. And Jesus would face his accusers alone, with only I, the disciple he loved, to bear witness to that night of nights. I tried to remain strong, but after he was led out by Pontius Pilate, beaten, dripping in blood, a crown of thorns jammed down on his head, and the frenzied crowds just lost it, and they began chanting, Crucify him! crucify him and I'm saying no spare him but they couldn't hear me and they chanted crucify him crucify him and I just lost all hope it turned to despair and tears began streaming down my face and they flowed from that moment until I can't remember there were no tears left to shed 
And as Jesus dragged that cross up the dusty road to Golgotha, the soldiers continued to whip him mercilessly. And I stayed close behind. Mary, Jesus' mother, and the other women who refused to leave thence in the history of the world. My master, my rabbi, my Jesus, dragging a rough-hewn instrument of torture and death amongst the condemned, And you could mark the progress that they made slowly up that hill by the trail of blood that was left behind. And I cradled Mary's head in my arms as the hammer blows rang out, one after the other. And as Jesus cried out in agony that must have gone to the very throne room of God, With each blow I could feel Mary tremble as though each strike was against her own body. And as they hoisted him to the sky, the one I loved, we simply gazed upon him. There were no words left to say. As though in a waking dream or a nightmare, we watched him. And what happened next, I have no explanation for. But instinctively, I needed to be near him. And we began to move closer and closer to the cross. I just was compelled. I could not leave him up there alone. Wherever he was, I had said, that is where I will be. That is where I need to be. That is where I must be. And so as the hours unfolded, we found ourselves huddled at the foot of his cross. And we gazed upon him, and finally Jesus saw us there. And in his agony, and as the blood poured over his eyes, he, he saw us, and he saw his mother. And he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And then he looked upon me, and our eyes met for the last time. And he said, Here is your mother. Oh, how I loved him. And oh, how I love him still. Even as he died in agony, the weight of the world, the sin of all of mankind upon his shoulders, his concern was still that his mother be cared for and that I should take her as my own mother. Oh, what kind of love compelled him? What strength sustained him in those hours? It was only much later that the Holy Spirit gave me understanding to what I bore witness to that day. That as the Roman soldier pierced his side with that spear and the water and the blood poured forth, that I, John, saw the plan of God for the salvation of all of man unfold before my very eyes. The plan that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had established before the foundations of the world was being accomplished. The prophecies that had been given hundreds and thousands of years before were being fulfilled. And in that plan, oh merciful Lord, He saw John. God placed me in His plan to bear witness to that day that I could share with you that it is true. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Do you see, my friends? Jesus is that kernel of wheat 
that had to go into the ground. He had to die and bear our sins upon Himself. And as He lay in that tomb, we died with Him that day. And so, when He bursts forth in victory, we too will burst forth with Him and live forever. That is what He has done by willingly laying down His life for us. And so now He has called us We are the fruit of his death. We are the wheat that has been multiplied. And he calls us to follow him. He calls us to multiply in his name and to follow his footsteps. But my friends, this is not a call to take lightly. For just as Jesus willingly laid down his life for us, he calls us now to willingly lay down our lives for him. He calls us to love him as he loved us. And my friends, to love Him is to obey Him. To love Him is to serve Him. To love Him is to follow Him wherever He leads and to whatever end. And so for me, loving Jesus meant standing at the foot of His cross. I alone of the twelve. And oh, how I loved Him and love Him still. And oh, how he loved me and loves me still. My friends, he loves you. Do you know that? He loves you so much. He showed you the full extent of that love on that cross that day. Do you know that? Is that a reality in your life every single day? The full extent of Jesus' love for you. If it is, let me ask you, Are you showing the full extent of your love for Him? Are you? Are you showing Him the full extent of your devotion? Are you showing up once in a while on Sunday, but the rest of the week's just for yourself? Are you showing Him the full extent of your love as a follower of Jesus Christ? That is what he calls for us, my friends. That is the call of the cross. Come and die with me. Come be placed in the ground with me so that you can live with me forever. My friends, we must lay down our lives and we must pick up our cross and follow him every single day. For if we love him, we must obey him. We must stand with him. And yes, we must die with him so that we may live with him in his home forever. Amen. Lord Jesus, we glorify your name. We hold your name as higher than any other name in heaven or on earth. O Lord Jesus, your name is a delight on our lips today because you have done everything to set us free. You, by your death, your atoning death, have poured out such mercy and grace and love that we can only just wonder at, Lord, what kind of love compelled you? What kind of strength sustained you to go through with the plan? The plan that you and the Father and the Spirit established before the foundations of the world 
that you saw us in that plan. You saw Danny Greening, and you saw each one sitting here today in your plan. And Lord, you, that single kernel of wheat, were willing to go into the ground so that we could burst forth into new life with you. And so, Father, we just stand in awe of your plan, and we worship you. And in response, Lord, help us to love you completely, fully, holding nothing back. Help us, O Lord, to from this day forward resolve to never let you out of our sight, to show you, Lord, in gratitude the full extent of our love for you because you have done everything for us. And so, Lord, motivate us as we go out here today. O Lord, may your love compel us from this day until our last day to whatever end to stand with you, to stand firm at the foot of the cross because it is the salvation for everyone who believes. And so bless each one, I pray, in your name. Give them the courage and the grace they need, Lord, to follow you.